Okay. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the new and improved Five Questions podcast. This is something that we started during the pandemic just to give people a chance to have some interaction in a way with other people in the church, maybe people they hadn't met before. So I did some interviews back then, and it was in the Five Questions format. And now I want to bring it back. Um, it had a little bit of a slow start to bringing it back because of my health issues, but now we're here. We've got lots of great things to talk about. And so I hope that you will subscribe to this through whatever service you use, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or Google Podcast or uh, iTunes, whatever it is, and uh, make listening to this one of the things that you do just to stay caught up on things. So we're going to ask five questions each time. And the first question is, why restart this podcast? Why would we even do this? Um, after the pandemic started to wind down, I stopped doing this because it took a lot of work. And there were other things that were a priority at that point as far as getting the church reopened. And that took a whole lot of work. So we took a break. I wasn't sure if we were ever going to bring it back. And then as a part of the Back Together plan, myself and actually a number of people were saying, hey, we need to do something like this. And I'm really excited about it. So why are we bringing it back? Well, the biggest reason in my mind is that we need a place to talk about things that don't fit in a normal worship service. There are lots of things worth talking about, lots of things where people want to know what does the Bible have to say about something, but it doesn't always fit in a worship service. To me, the worship service at the weekend gathering is a sacred space. It's a place that we need to take care to not let it become filled with lots of things that actually distract from the real reason we're there. It's not there to pump people up. It's not there to make political statements. If anything, it should be a break from those things. It should be a place where we go and our primary focus is we're going to worship God together through our singing, through our praying, and through studying God's word. That's really the focus of that worship service. But there are lots of really good conversations to have. And I have those all the time with people in other smaller settings. But it is kind of a shame. You know, I might talk with someone for a few hours about something that is a really fascinating conversation. And we have lots of great dialogue. And then only a few people get to hear that if they happen to be there at the time. So I think there needs to be a way for us to have more of those conversations in a place that's recorded, that can be shared, where a link can be sent to someone so that you can go, hey, I know you were, you were wondering about this. You had this question. Here is uh, some people talking about that that might help you out, give some answers to that. And we're not always going to have the answers, obviously, uh, but at least we're going to try to be very honest about what we can say, and certainly dig into the Bible and what it says about things that are going on today. And that includes culturally relevant issues, questions about the Bible, things about entertainment and, and new things happening in the world. We want to be able to talk about all of those. The other reason is I get questions from people all the time on a weekly and sometimes daily basis, really interesting questions, mostly through email, sometimes through Facebook or texting or other things. And I always try to respond to those very carefully. And sometimes I'll give pretty extensive responses to people because I truly want to help. And, and sometimes I have access to resources, you know, biblical commentaries and things like that, where I can dig into it a little bit and give them some helpful information. But then I do that, and then maybe only that person gets to see that answer. So I would love for those answers and the research that goes into them to actually benefit more people if someone else happens to have that question, and chances are someone does. So that's why we're restarting the Five Questions podcast. Now, why call it the Five Questions podcast? Why that format? Well, it gives us some structure 
that we can follow a little bit of organization while still giving us a lot of flexibility for everything that we cover. Because we are going to have a broad array of topics here, I don't want to limit it to just Bible answers. I don't want to limit it to just Q&A. I also want there to be an interview format. We want to have interesting people on this podcast to to ask them questions about what God's doing in their life or an amazing testimony or thing that happened. So we're just going to leave that format very open. The five questions title allows us to do that while still giving us some kind of structure and organization to be able to direct the path of the podcast. Okay, so for the third question today, I actually did an interview with a couple of people. So we're going to show you that and then I'll bring you back for two more questions. One has to do with the chosen TV show. The other one has to do with the plan for the rest of the year at First Free Church. So if you're interested in those things, make sure you stick around right now. Here's an interview with our third question. So I'm joined now by Eric Sheriffs, who's our safety director at First Free Church, as well as Kelly Cobb. And Kelly, before we get started, could you just share uh, what your position is with the fire department? So I am the executive director of West County Safety House. I handle all of the community education. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Before we dive into exactly why you're here, I want to ask our question, which is for Eric. And Eric, you can give us a little information on this. And the question is, why are we going to have a car accident staged in our parking lot at the church? Uh, What sense does that make? Why are we doing that? Well, thank you, Adam. Um, You know, as as a safety coordinator for the church, you know, one of my principal concerns, I mean, every day is for the safety of our congregation here at our facility. Uh, But there's absolutely no reason why we need to confine that, you know, safety practices here. I'm also looking at opportunities to to enhance personal safety outside the confines of, of of our facility here. So things that people can do to be safer in their homes, uh, safer in their communities. Matter of fact, uh, we are currently uh, have a series with the West County, or with the uh, St. Louis County Police, where they're doing a community safety seminar. We've talked about things like fraud and identity uh, protection and personal safety. So we've got a series that's, that's ongoing right now. But we've got this big event coming up on May 21st that I'm really excited about. It's called the Distracted Driving Event. And the intent is to really uh, kind of bring to the surface uh, the uh, how unsafe distracted driving can actually be. And, and so we're working with West County Fire. And Kelly Cobb is, uh, is, is just been a great partner in this and putting this together. Uh, so we've got this big event coming on May 21st, and I'd really like to kind of turn it over to Kelly so she can kind of give you some details on it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. So the Distracted Driving event on May 21st, um, our goal is to send a very hard-hitting message about the consequences of unsafe driving behaviors. And whenever we say distracted driving, that means texting and driving, any distraction that you have in your car, um, being on the phone, somebody in your back seat you know, a bunch of teenagers in the car and their friends are kind of, you know, listening to loud music, anything that distracts you and your attention from the road. So uh, with this um, simulation that we're doing, it's just sending a hard hitting message about the consequences of you getting behind that wheel and having those distractions. So it's a great event. I feel that 
anybody that gets behind the wheel needs to attend. So, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. And I got to tell you, I am ridiculously excited about this event. Uh, we are actually going to have a staged car accident. But not only that, but the, the, the EMS is going to be responding just as they would to an accident that actually happens out on the freeway or one of the, the, uh, the city streets or something like that. Um, the police will be responding and, and you're going to see kind of real time what that looks like. It's not just driving down the road and looking, saying, oh, something's going on over there. You're going to be part of it. And it's a really powerful event uh, that they've been doing for, for years. Uh, so I am so excited that they're working with us and bringing that here to our church family. So many, so many people think that this is so necessary for teenagers to attend. I feel that it's important for anyone that gets behind that wheel because you and I both know you can be on the road today and you look right next to you and there's somebody on their phone. So it's important for everyone of all ages. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And thank you, Kelly, for setting all of this up, Eric, as well on our end for setting this up. I think this is really neat for us as a church to be engaged in the community in some ways that you might not expect of a church normally, but there are ways that will uh, bring the community into our parking lot to to see something that's hopefully important and relevant to them. And, and it's just a way of being good neighbors, too. So I really appreciate that. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. All right, so let's get to question number four. This question came to me a couple of months ago through email. And if you ever have a question that you want to ask, pastor at efree.org is my email address. And by the way, that's not uh, a generic email address. That is my personal email address. If you want to email me directly, that's the best place to do it. I do have another email that's for like administrative approvals and calendar appointments and all sorts of things. It gets all clogged up. The best way to reach me is seriously pastor at efree.org. And if you have a question you would like to ask and maybe include in another podcast like this, please send away. So I got this question and it was essentially this, should we watch The Chosen if it adds to the biblical story? This was a friend of mine at church who said that a relative didn't agree with The Chosen adding things to the biblical story about Jesus, mostly because of children and unbelievers watching the show. They might think, well, these extra details really happened. And she's concerned that they may be adding to scripture, which is something we're specifically told not to do. I can completely appreciate that question and concern. Now, if you're paying attention, spoiler alert, I'm actually wearing a chosen t-shirt right now. So you, you probably already figured out that I'm going to say, yes, I think we can still watch the chosen. But let me tell you why and why I think this is a good question. Uh, I've wrestled with this myself. There are times where my kids will watch The Chosen and afterward they want to know what was really in the Bible and what did they add. So it's a very valid question and I think we should talk about it a little bit. And I'm going to give you the answers that I gave to uh, this person to share back with their relative. So the first one has to do with adding to Scripture. Adding to Scripture and the prohibition against adding to Scripture isn't referring, about referring to filling in the details to portray it in media, to portray the story. Adding to scripture means writing something new and claiming that it's actually authoritative scripture. It's saying we're going to add details and then we're going to say you need to believe this. So the only way the show, The Chosen, would be guilty of adding to scripture in a way that prohibits the biblical or that, that violates the biblical prohibition 
is if they were to say, here are some extra details about the life of Jesus that God has revealed to us and now you need to accept as authoritative. Now, they're not doing that at all. They're very upfront about the fact that they are portraying a story and so they're adding context and background to help you appreciate the biblical truths in that story. But that context requires adding detail because it's not all in the Gospels. Every every little detail that you would need to fill in all the gaps and tell a compelling story isn't there. It's a summary. And John admits as much in his Gospel. So, for instance, if the chosen producers were to tell you, hey, we now know that Nathaniel was an architect and he had a building collapse on him before he became a disciple of Jesus. And that's just truth now. That's canon. You have to believe in that. Then that would be adding to scripture. That's not at all what they're saying. So I don't think they're guilty of adding to scripture in that way. It's not a violation of the biblical prohibition. I do know that Dallas Jenkins and his father, Jerry, are really strong Christians. They have always worked hard to be faithful to scripture their goal for a long time, uh, Jerry before Dallas, was to make the scriptures come alive. And they do that by telling a rich story that engages more people than might otherwise engage with the content of scripture. And that story requires context and background. So they add some details to make sure that it's a compelling story, whether it's a book or a video. And they do that not to add to scripture in a, in a negative way, but in a way that helps you to understand it better. Scripture is not meant to communicate everything about a given story. Everything that we needed to know from a gospel perspective, from a theological perspective, is in the Bible. Everything we would like to know from an interest perspective is not in the Bible. And as I mentioned earlier, John says this in his gospel. He said, if everything that Jesus did were written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold all of the material. And in fact, one of my favorite stories is when Jesus has risen from the dead. He's walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus, and he reveals to them how all the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures point to him. But we are not told in that account what those things were. We actually only have a tiny bit of the information that links the Old Testament to the New Testament. So much of what we teach today about those links are actually us trying to study and infer what those links are because scripture itself only gives us a few of those links. It doesn't give us all of them. So it would be amazing to have more information on that. So there's a lot more that I look forward to getting in the future, a lot more that God just chose not to give to us. But I don't think that should keep us from telling a compelling story and filling in the details as best as we can to make that a compelling story. I think that Dallas has been very clear about what he's doing, that he's he's trying to capture people with a narrative. He's not trying to write new scripture. And so I don't see a problem with giving those extra details to help fill out the story. I think they do make it a more compelling story. And, you know, the interesting thing is pastors do this all the time. We add lots of information. We do not just get up on stage and only preach the scripture. We add historical context. We add research that we've done. We add illustrations. We add stories. We add lots of things to try to make that biblical truth come alive in a relevant and practical way. And you could think about the chosen in a way as doing the exact same thing. And it is based on a tremendous amount of research. They have scholars that they are working with to research the material. And for me, as someone who's been to Israel multiple times, who has been studying the biblical accounts and the gospels for a long, long time in great depth, 
I watch the show with a tremendous amount of appreciation for how painstakingly researched it is. There are elements that probably most people would not pick up on and would need to pick up on, but I watch it and go, oh my goodness, they just did that. They just alluded to how the Pharisees would really act in this situation. They've done their research. They've figured out what would it be like for the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the council and their interaction, and what would it have been like for a Pharisee to oppose Jesus and then go through the process of of joining and following Jesus, but what would they have experienced from the perspective of their family and from their fellow members of the council? What would that have looked like? How would the politics have worked behind the scenes? And, and details about the, the clothing and the way they traveled and the buildings that they would go into and how those functioned and, and entering the home of a Gentile, all those sorts of things that may not be clearly spelled out in the Bible, and in many cases, we, we only know them from historical research. They've done the research. And so I am just astonished when I watch this. And sometimes it brings me to tears to go, oh, wow, they put that in there. So I just love that aspect of it. Now, does that mean that every single detail is actually true in how it happened? No, probably not. But I would say it's a best guess right now based on what we know. And for me, it helps me connect with that st biblical story of Jesus in a, a new way that is really, really special. So I really appreciate all the research that they've done. I think that it's a very honest and authentic attempt to portray the story of Jesus in a fresh way to a new audience. And I think that the producers in Dallas in particular have been very clear when they've released videos on this very topic to explain why they took the liberties they did how careful they were with the research, and that they are not trying to claim this is exactly how it happened. They are trying to tell a very compelling story with backstory that makes sense, that is well-researched, that is plausible. And so I would say that everything that I've seen in The Chosen so far is biblically faithful and accurate, and those elements that are extra details do not contradict Scripture. And that's very important. If it contradicted Scripture, that would be a problem. There are times where they go in a direction and I think, I'm not so sure if it went that direction. But it's not that I know that they're wrong. It's just that I might not fully think that may be how it happened. But, but it, it's kind of a guess. And it's okay for them to do that as long as they're not contradicting Scripture. Um, there, there are some of the, the ways that they've chosen to handle Jesus, for instance, that are, that are a creative take, and, and they might be right, even if I feel like maybe it would have gone a different direction. But you do have to remember, this is not scripture itself. So what do we do about people watching and not knowing what is real and what is added to fill out the story? Well, we've, we've got to have those conversations with people. I would rather have someone watch The Chosen and be introduced to Jesus and fall in love with who he is. In fact, I know people personally who are not Jesus followers, but love the chosen. And that's really cool because I think it's bringing in people who wouldn't otherwise be willing to have those conversations. And then you can talk about it. And then oftentimes there are discussions around, now, is this really in the Bible? Is this not in the Bible? I would say, in a way, the fact that the chosen has not stuck just to the words of scripture, which would not honestly make a super compelling TV show, but has filled out the details, has maybe led to even more discipleship opportunities with my kids because now as soon as an episode's done or sometimes in the middle of an episode, they're like, oh, pause that, dad. Can you pause that? 
is this in the Bible or is this something they added? And we're having conversations about that. This is at nine and seven years old. They're digging into this and wanting to know the distinction. I think that's wonderful. I've had conversations with people who aren't followers of Jesus who have had similar questions. Now, when they did this, was this part of the the Bible or was this added? I haven't encountered anyone yet who has thought there was something that was true in the chosen and it wasn't true and it had any impact on their theology or their life whatsoever. If anything, I've almost only seen the opposite. I've seen people driven to want to know now what's really in the Bible after watching it, but the avenue to get them there was watching the chosen. So should we watch the chosen even though it adds things at times to the story? I think so. I think it's well worth it. I think that in some ways the concern of what it could be as a problem is maybe actually a really good thing and has led to more good and the the slippery slope concern of, well, is this going to lead someone to believe things that aren't true? Well, first of all, I haven't seen anything in there that would be unbiblical so far that I would be concerned about someone thinking is true. And secondly, it just seems to me that it drives people to actually want to study the scriptures and know more. So I, I'm just not overly worried about it. I think what they're doing is a, a wonderful job of introducing millions of people to the story of Jesus in a really compelling way. Would I do a few things differently? Yeah, sure, I would. But I also don't feel like there's anything unbiblical there to where I need to say, no, we shouldn't watch this anymore. Okay, question number five. I know that was a long one. This one will be a little bit shorter as we wrap things up. What's the roadmap for the rest of the year at First Free? And I'll share this in the worship services sometime soon, but if you listen to or watch this podcast, you'll probably get a heads up on some things a little bit earlier. And so this is going to be one of those times where you'll know things a little bit earlier and and that's okay. So I'm currently in my sixth year as a pastor at First Free, and I'm supposed to be able to take a sabbatical this year. After five years, I get to take a sabbatical and get refreshed in that. So I'm going to be doing that in July and August of this year, and we've been getting ready for that as a church. And truthfully, at this point, weekly operations at the church don't rely on me. Most of my time is spent on future thinking things and on coaching and developing, uh, developing our people, developing our systems, working with the elders, and planning for preaching. So a lot of my time, about 20 hours a week, whether I'm preaching or not, is spent on preaching preparation. It's either for this week's message or for next week's message or for the next series that's coming up or working a few months down the road. Like I've already been working for um, about a year now on what I'm going to be diving into a few months from now. So it takes a lot of work to prepare those if you really want to do a good job and be biblically faithful, which is my passion. I, I want to put the research in to make sure that it's done well. So that takes about 20 hours of my week. And then I'll spend another 10 or so hours often on elder-related matters. There are always a lot of things going on at the church. The elders have to stay informed, have to speak into those. Um, there are things that we're doing to try to to grow our elder board and improve uh, on the board and as a church. And so there's extra time spent there. And then I'll usually spend 15 to 20 hours or so a week on staff development. That's meeting with our staff, planning for the next month or two or even longer term. We're talking right now about what's going to happen in December for Christmas. And I'm already thinking myself about next January and what the next year of ministry is going to look like for us there. 
So a lot of long-term planning. All of the weekly stuff that happens has at this point been delegated. I was more involved in that early on in my time here, the first three years. Had to be new leader, need to understand how everything works and everybody needs to ask you, how do you want this done? How do you want that done? And so there's a lot of collaboration. Now the team's amazing. They know what they're doing. We've got a culture and, and kind of a DNA to how we do things now. So me taking a sabbatical for a couple of months is probably not going to be um, devastating at all. It's it's actually going to help our staff stretch some muscles in ways and, and grow in ways with me not being there. That's actually a really good thing. But we do have preaching lined up for that. So we're going to do a series called The Verse That Changed Everything. And our preaching team is going to take half of that. And then we're bringing in outside speakers for half of that. And every speaker is being asked to share the one verse from the Bible that made a huge difference in their life. We're going to bring in people like Dr. David Croto, who you saw last year, does an amazing job. Barrett Moore, my former assistant, now a student ministries director in Georgia, is going to come back and preach for a week. And so people will love that. Uh, Brad Waz is one of our supported missionaries, local missionaries at First Free. He'll be taking a week. Mike Shields, our superintendent, who also spoke Last year, we'll be back. Uh, Quentin Steef, who's a senior pastor of an EFCA church in Iowa, he's going to come for a week. So we just got a great lineup of people that are going to share the verse that made the biggest impact on their life and and share that with people. So that's going to be a great series. We'll do that for, I think, nine weeks or so. One of the things about a sabbatical is it's not just a vacation. A sabbatical actually has three main components to it. There's the refresh component, the renew component, and the reload component. So a good sabbatical is going to have all three of those. It needs to be refreshing because ministry leadership can be really hard. And and I don't say that uh, in any way, say other jobs are not hard, but the, the deal with ministry leadership is not only do you have the energy component and the time component and the emotional component like you would anywhere, but you have this spiritual component that can get very weighing on people. And you look at churches and pastors across the country in any given year, and you'll see lots of them burning out. Even this year, I've been amazed at the number of friends that I have that are senior pastors who are getting out of ministry. They're not retiring. They're just getting out of ministry or at least getting out of pastoral ministry. And I've had uh, multiple guys who are going on 30, 40 years of pastoral ministry tell me the last few years, the last two, three years were their hardest ever. In ministry, so the last the last couple of years have been difficult for pastors, and I'm doing well. But it is good every few years to just be able to get a little bit of an extended break, where you're not needing to preach on a regular basis. And when I do preach that week, the sermon kind of takes over my life a little bit, and so my family's actually looking forward to me having a bit of an extended time where I'm not preaching. Now we have a preaching team at the church, which is amazing. One of my qualifications for coming to the church and any church that I was looking at the time was I would preach 66% of the year and then there'd be a preaching team. And so it wouldn't be all on me. And part of that's because I've got a young family. I need to make sure I'm spending time with them. Part of that's because when I preach, I pour myself into it. And so I want to be able to do that when I'm on and then then have weeks where I don't have to do that. But a big part of it is I believe in training other people and raising them up to be able to speak and teach as well. That's actually a biblical mandate. And to Paul said to Timothy, entrust these things to faithful people who will teach others also. And so 
I want to save a part of that time in our worship services for others to be flexing their muscles and growing in that space. And I think it's just healthier all around. I think it's better when the church gets to hear from multiple voices. I think it's better for the longevity and sustainability of the church. If something were to happen to me all of a sudden, it's not like the church would have to scramble to find people who know our rhythms, know how to teach and speak, and and are able to fill in right away. We've got a team of people that could take that on if they needed to. Or let's just say I have some kind of you know major accident or sickness or something like that. Um, do you imagine that, me getting really sick all of a sudden? And we've got people that could step in. So we're prepared for that. The preaching team is wonderful for that. And and just the ability to invest in those people, you know, especially if we've got someone that's new to preaching, I'll meet with them one or two times before they preach and we'll work on that message together and craft that. So I love that. So there's the refresh component of the sabbatical and there's the renew component of the sabbatical. And that's all about personal growth. So I'll be reading several books during my sabbatical. I'll be working with a pastoral coach at that time. I'll be doing a lot of personal growth things intentionally to make sure that I'm growing the way I need to. It can be hard in the day in, day out of ministry leadership. And I think maybe especially in that senior pastor role because of all the things that are coming to you all the time to really focus on your personal growth. I have had to take a break oftentimes on reading books, on listening to podcasts, on some of those personal growth things, just because there's so much else that I deal with. I don't have the mental energy to spend on those. So that I'm looking forward to that. The last part is the reload part. And that's all about future thinking, what's happening for the next five years. So your sabbatical is, is not just a break from the last five years. It's even more a intentional strategic preparation for the next five years of ministry. And so that's going to be a priority for me. I'm going to be thinking about the next few years of the church's ministry, the future area of focus for the church. If in 2024, we want to have another area of focus like the Back Together initiative, well, what's that going to be? What's that going to look like? What's it going to be called? I'll be spending a lot of time in prayer, just like I did leading up to when I believe God kind of inspired that not in a biblical authoritative scriptural way, but just through his Holy Spirit guided me toward that back together plan. I'll be doing the same thing for 2024, asking God, Lord, what do you want us to focus on? I've already got some hints on that, but I want to spend more time there. And then another big one that I'll be preparing for is a series that will start right when I get back. So we're going to pause Acts for a little bit here over the summer. We're going to do the uh, Verse That Changed Everything series. And then we're going to do another series called Created to Connect, God's Design for Gender and Intimacy. And we are going to talk about issues of human sexuality and homosexuality and transgenderism. What does the Bible have to say about that? Even some of the stickier nuances of how do Christians respond and and should you use people's preferred pronouns? How are we to think about that? I've actually been preparing for this series for over a year already and had planned to launch it last fall. There was a guest speaker I really wanted to bring in. He told me at the time that he couldn't commit to it that fall. Maybe he could do it the next fall. We've been going back and forth on it, and I determined at the beginning of this year whether he can do it or not, we're doing it one way or another. We cannot put this off any longer. Um, And in conversations over the last month, it's been concluded that he's not going to come, and that's fine. We've got what we need. Uh, we'll, We'll miss him being able to speak directly to us, but we'll use a lot of his resources. And so I'll be preparing for that series 
during my sabbatical so that when I come back, we will do a pretty deep dive into not just areas of sexuality, and we're not just trying to, trying to get into cultural controversial issues here, but how did God design us to work together? Why did he make us with different genders and different attributes? And what does he intend for us to do with that? What's his design for sex? Why are, why are we created that way by our Heavenly Father? And what are we supposed to do with that? So it, it'll be a broader take on all of those issues. So that's the roadmap for the next year. After that, we'll get back into the Acts series. We will eventually wrap up the Acts series and move on to something new. That was another thing I'll be thinking about during my sabbatical. Uh, but I wanted you to kind of have a little taste of where we're going the rest of this year. So that's the first episode of getting back to the five questions podcast. I really hope that you'll subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using because we've got some great topics coming. And I think the next one will probably be all about artificial intelligence. So you're not going to want to miss that one. Until then, I hope you have a great week and don't forget to share Jesus with someone today or this week. If that's an opportunity for you, let Jesus shine through you wherever you go. God bless.